0: Welcome to Murder Minute. Today, the story of the chameleon killer. But first, your true crime headlines. Police have arrested a Florida mother and charged her with murder in the death of her nine-year-old son after initially telling police that he was abducted by two black men. 45-year-old Patricia Ripley said that she had been driving with her son Alejandro when two black men in another car forced her to stop. They asked her for drugs, and when she told them she didn't have any drugs, they stole her cell phone and kidnapped her son, who is autistic and nonverbal. While investigating the alleged abduction, police discovered video that shows the mother walking along the banks of a canal with her son before pushing him in the water and running away. Residents nearby the canal heard the commotion and rescued the boy, but his mother allegedly took him to another canal an hour later, where she drowned her son and left his body. Ripley faces charges of first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, and premeditated murder. She is being held without bond in Miami-Dade County as she awaits an appearance in court. In Minneapolis, a black man is dead after being handcuffed and pinned to the ground by a police officer who was attempting to arrest him on a non-violent forgery charge. Four Minneapolis police officers responded to a call of a potential forgery in progress. When they arrived on the scene, they attempted to arrest George Floyd, who they claimed resisted. Officer Derek Chauvin handcuffed the man and pinned him to the ground, pressing his knee into Floyd's neck despite the man's repeatedly stating that he could not breathe. A bystander recorded the incident, starting the video once Floyd was placed in handcuffs and continuing to record until emergency personnel arrived and took Floyd away in an ambulance. The case has drawn comparisons to the killing of Eric Garner, a black man who was killed by police in 2014, after being placed in an illegal chokehold during the investigation of a nonviolent crime, Garner's death was also captured on video, and his repeated utterance of the phrase, I can't breathe, became a rallying cry in demonstrations against police brutality. The four officers involved in the incident have been fired from the police force. Chauvin has been arrested and charged with Floyd's murder. As of yet, it is unclear if the other officers will face charges. The FBI has been called in to assist in the investigation and Minnesota has filed civil rights charges against the Minneapolis Police Department. Mayor Jacob Frey called the murder wrong on every level. The city of Cleveland, Ohio has reached a settlement with three wrongfully convicted men who served decades behind bars for crimes they did not commit. Ricky Jackson, Wiley Bridgman, and his brother, Kwame Ajamu were convicted of murder in 1975 for the shooting death of money order collector Harold Franks. The three men have all maintained their innocence and were finally exonerated in 2014 after serving nearly four decades in prison. The primary eyewitness to the shooting, Edward Vernon, was 12 years old at the time of the crime. Vernon recanted his testimony in 2014, stating that city detectives pressured him to lie on the witness stand. He said the police threatened to jail his parents and that police manipulated him. After they were freed, the three men sued the city and were able to make a settlement of $18 million, which will be paid out between now and 2023. An attorney for the men said that it is the largest monetary settlement ever reached in a wrongful conviction suit. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, the story behind remains found in a barrel and the pursuit to catch the killer. But first, a quick break.
1: Now more than ever, I realize that it's important to try to eat healthy. And Daily Harvest makes it easy. With Daily Harvest, I keep my house fully stocked with clean food built on whole fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest delivers delicious clean food right to my door. It only takes a few minutes to prepare and I never have to question if the food I'm eating is good for me. And I never have to worry about social distancing at the grocery store. With Daily Harvest, everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to enjoy it. You don't have to overthink any of your meals for the week, and they have delicious options for any time of day, smoothies, soups, harvest bowls, flatbreads, and more. Plus, Daily Harvest never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial ingredients. They work directly with farms, and they freeze organic fruits and vegetables at peak ripeness to lock in nutrients and taste. I'm a coffee lover, and I'm not getting a lot of sleep these days, so my favorite right now is the cold brew and almond smoothie with banana, almond, coffee, cacao, coconut, and green coffee. But my favorite thing about Daily Harvest is that they're committed to minimizing their environmental impact. Daily Harvest are in the process of transitioning to 100% compostable recyclable packaging and are over 50% of the way there already. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code MINUTE to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code MINUTE for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. Take the guesswork out and get great food delivered by Daily Harvest at dailyharvest.com. To say that these are challenging times is an understatement. So if you've been thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get BetterHelp. Whether this is your first time seeking counseling, or you're simply looking for an alternative to continue your counseling while social distancing, BetterHelp can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely online. They have a broad range of expertise available, and the service is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you won't ever have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and in these challenging times, financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. Visit the website and read the testimonials posted daily. That's BetterHelp.com. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com/slash, murderminute. That's ten percent off your first month at com slash
0: murderminute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Now, the story of the Chameleon Killer. In 1978, Marlise Honeychurch was in her mid-twenties. And the mother of two small daughters, Marie Vaughn and Sarah McWaters, when she brought her boyfriend, Terry Rasmussen, to her mother's home in La Puente, California. It was late November, near Thanksgiving, and the family hadn't yet met her latest beau. Marlise's older sister, Paula, told ABC News that she recalls an argument that night between Marlise and their mom, who felt Terry was too old for her and couldn't understand why she had chosen him as a romantic partner. Shortly after the quarrel, Marlise left with Terry and the girls. As time passed with no word from Marlise, the family knew something was wrong. They searched endlessly for the young mother and her girls, for weeks, then months, then years, to no avail. The answers would start to reveal themselves seven years later, near the opposite corner of the country during the summer of 1985 11 year old jesse morgan was playing hide and seek with friends in Bear Brook state park in Allenstown, new hampshire when they all came upon a large rusty barrel it seemed out of place and they were eager to learn what it held as they attempted to pull the lid off they were overwhelmed by a wretched smell jesse noticed a grayish liquid seeping out of the bottom which he figured was rotten milk. The guys jumped on my four-wheeler and we booted out of there and that was the last time we saw the barrel, Jesse told reporters. A few months later, a hunter found the open barrel and called police. It seemed to be full of human bones. Investigators later determined that the bones belonged to a female adult and a female child. The remains were buried together at a nearby cemetery with a donated gravestone that read, Here lies the mortal remains known only to God of a woman aged 23 to 33 and a girl child aged 8 to 10. Their slain bodies were found on November 10, 1985 in Bearbrook State Park. May their souls find peace in God's loving care. A full 15 years later, The bodies of two more girls were found in a barrel at the same park. One seemed to be two or three years old, the other between one and three. Throughout those years, Marlisa's family continued to search and wonder about their loved one's whereabouts. They knew almost nothing about Terry, the boyfriend she was last seen with, having met him only once. Here's what investigators finally determined about the man's life leading up to and after the disappearances. According to the New Hampshire Department of Justice, Rasmussen had been married and fathered three children before meeting Marlise. A few years before they met, he was arrested for aggravated assault in Arizona. After, it is believed his wife and kids left him. The year he and Marlise began dating, 1978, his divorce to his ex-wife became final. During the two years following Marlise's disappearance, he worked as a head electrician in New Hampshire. He was going by a different name then, Bob Evans, and listed a woman named Elizabeth as his spouse. In 1980, he was arrested for writing bad checks and again soon after for a diverting electric current. The following year, he had a new girlfriend, Denise Bowden, with whom he had a baby girl. Shortly after Thanksgiving of that year, Denise went missing. Sound familiar? Rasmussen started going by another name after that, Curtis Mayo Kimball, and was arrested for a DUI in 1985, just months before the first barrel of bones was found in the New Hampshire woods. At the time, he was still caring for the daughter he had with Denise. Once news about the remains broke, he abandoned her and fled. After the second barrel was discovered in 2002, his latest girlfriend disappeared. Yoon Soon-Joon was in her mid-40s when she introduced him as Larry Vanner to her family. Her friend, Renee Rose, told 2020 that the man didn't look healthy. She described him as gray-faced and constantly smoking, adding, Larry would just grab and gobble up everything on the table and belch and eat more, and then he'd go sit on the couch. And when Yoon Soon vanished, he made excuses about her whereabouts, claiming she was getting therapy or had decided she no longer cared about him and wanted him out of her life. Not believing a word of it, Renee went to the police and spoke to Detective Roxanne Grunheide. Grunheide met with the man and said he had a certain charm about him. He seemed smart, friendly, she said, and had twinkly blue eyes that could be used to cultivate trust. All they were really trying to do, she said, was determine where Yoon Soon was and if she was okay. And he was not being cooperative with that at all. His story changed again and again, indicating deceit. In searching his home, investigators found a huge pile of cat litter, a good four feet around and two to three feet high, in a crawl space near an axe, Beneath the granules of clay, they found a mummified human foot wearing a sandal. The deceased was later identified as Yun Soon-Joon, and the cause of death, blunt force trauma to the head. In November of 2002, the man she had known as Larry Vanner was arrested for the murder. He pleaded guilty to the crime and was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. He died behind bars eight years later, and authorities didn't release his identity as Terry Rasmussen until 2017. Two years later, the pieces finally began coming together in the case of Marlise and the three girls, thanks to combined work of an independent sleuth and law enforcement. It had been 34 years since that last Thanksgiving visit home when they were last seen. Rebecca Heath a research librarian in Connecticut who had long been drawn to true crime stories, could not stop thinking about the case. The young woman and two small children who remained, essentially, Jane Doe's. While searching Ancestry message boards online for possible family members, she found posts from 1999 describing them. Heath reached out to one of the women offering to help. While they were talking the woman mentioned that she thought Marlies had been married to some guy with the last name Rasmussen. Immediately, Heath knew that this was huge. The next day, she reached out to more family members, including Marlise's sisters, who helped put together the timeline, sharing that they hadn't seen her since November 1978. They added that she left with a man named Terry. Heath shared this information with a San Bernardino detective, and soon after, she was discussing her research with them. She then stayed in touch with the family of Marlies and her daughters and was struck by how much they resembled the composite sketches of the victims released after the remains were found in the barrels. Meanwhile, genealogist Barbara Reventer Venter helped identify the victims using a new technique that uses DNA extracted from the shafts of hair strands. The tests confirmed the identities of Marlies Honeychurch and her daughters, Marie and Sarah. The fourth girl turned out to be a biological daughter of the killer. They knew nothing else about her identity, only that she had a crooked front tooth, wore earrings, and stood about 4 foot 3 inches tall. She had wavy, light brown hair, and her lungs showed signs of pneumonia. In January 2011, authorities announced that they believed Rasmussen murdered at least six people, including Marlise and her daughters, his unidentified biological daughter, Denise Bowden, and Yoon soon They also suspect that he killed the mother of his unidentified daughter found in the barrel, who still hasn't been identified or found. Given his long list of aliases used to cover his tracks, in New Hampshire and California. Rasmussen was dubbed the chameleon killer. He took numerous lives and devastated many more, but some of his relatives survived. When his biological daughter, Andrea Steers, learned of his crimes, she told the news station WMUR that she hopes more can be done to protect kids from parents who suffer from violent mental illness and addiction as her father did. Andrea was only four when her dad killed her half-sister, who she met around the last time she saw him. While the girl hasn't been identified, Andrea and her siblings call her Anita Moon. "'I think he killed my sister because she didn't look like him,' Andrea said. "'I really can't stand my face sometimes when I look in the mirror because I look like him, you know? It's hard.'" Ashamed of her father's legacy, she remains on a mission to help change things for little girls like her sister. Another half-sister, Diane, has pleaded with anyone who thinks they might be related to the little girl's birth mother to take a DNA test, adding, That's how Marlise got her name back. Proper burials were held for the remains of Marlies and her little girls after their identities were revealed. Many members of the community gathered to pay the respects and joined together in a chorus of amazing grace. Marlise's brother, David, spoke at the service, saying, Although this moment is bittersweet, they can rest in peace. On a memorial page for Marlise and Marie, Detective Mike Philbrick wrote this, I would like to offer my deepest sorrows and sympathies to the families of Marlise and Marie. I was a detective with APD from 1985 to 89 and responded to Bear Brook State Park on November 10, 1985. The horrific scene inside that 55-gallon drum will be an ominous memory for me for life. Finally being able to put names to these young, unfortunate victims is a prayer that has been answered. My chief, Norman Connor, can now also rest easy in peace, knowing you girls all have names. After a great length of time had passed without an identity, Chief Connor took it upon himself to make sure these victims had a final resting place in Town until they were properly identified. God does answer prayers, he finished, on his own timeline. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.